Well, this morning, if you would, turn with me again to the book of Ruth, this little book that's tucked away between the dark, evil, decadent judges period and the hopefulness of the monarchy, (laughs) Samuel. Uh, it's It's kind of wedged between these two books. It is also a transitional book. Uh, I hope you've been able to see that, that we're actually transitioning from a very dark age, decadent time in Israel's life where everything's just just swirling and, and going out of control to now you get some kind of unity, some kind of authority, and also uh, some good things that are happening in Israel once you get into Samuel. But you don't have any of that without this little book right here. None of the unity, none of the authority without this book because of the way it ends, (laughs) Uh, which we'll get there later. So look with me now at Ruth chapter 4. I hope that you've been enjoying um, this this, uh, these these series of sermons on the book of Ruth, Um, but I hope more than the sermons you enjoying them, I hope that you've enjoyed the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is, is always more important than whatever I have to say about the book of Ruth. So let's look at the words themselves this morning. If you'll read along with me here, uh, silently in your heart. Um, now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Again, that was another one of those, it just so happened that he came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malam. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malam, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. 
May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. How beautiful is this little book that You've placed here for us this morning to study, to know, to read, to place within our hearts so that we won't sin against You. May that be the result this morning is that we would turn to You, that we would go and sin no more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So to recap, chapter 1, a godly family from the town of Bethlehem, which means, you ought to know this by now, house of bread, basically food world, is, has a famine. Okay? So food world has a famine. They leave for a foreign land, which is Moab, which again comes from an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters. They go to Moab and they not only... <laughs> They may find some food there, but what they find worse there is death. Elimelech dies, the two sons die, and what you have is Naomi being left alone with her two sister-in-laws. Well, she, she heads back, she hears that God has now provided bread in Bethlehem. She's heading back to her people, and she says, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, let's stop. You girls don't need to go with me. There's nothing there for you in Israel. You are foreigners. This is where your land is. Go. You're young enough. You can go find another husband. I am not. Do do I look like I am old? You know, young enough to find? No, I'm not. And I can't bear forth children. Therefore, my inheritance will be cut off. And and you just let me stay in my bitterness. She even calls herself Mara, which means bitter, which her name actually means sweet. Uh, Naomi. So, so she, she changes her name to bitter and she says, look, I'm a bitter old woman. Let me just stay here in my bitterness and leave me alone. You go back, make, a, make something for your life and I'm headed back. See you later. Ruth clings to her, the Scripture says, and makes this declaration, does hesed, we talked about this term, this covenant faithfulness, this love, this mercy that is undeserving, but she, she says, no, I'm staying with you. Whoever your people are, they're going to be my people. Wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. Wherever you go, I'm going. And whoever your God is, that's who I'm going to worship from now on. Okay, well, there's a glimmer of hope. You know, the, the, the book of Ruth is, is, is going from really the top to the bottom constantly of, of there's hope and then there's some kind of problem. Hope and then there's... And so then in chapter 3, you actually get where they meet. Uh, they, they meet in chapter 3 for the second time alone finally. The first time is in the field. It just so happened again. Uh, this shows God's providence. We talked about that in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is dealing with this secretive meeting where, where basically she says, look... I'm going to offer myself to you. I want to be your husband. And again, this was another act on Ruth's part of hesed. Of hesed love. This this Hebrew term that doesn't have an equivalent in English is often translated steadfast love or faithfulness or just simply mercy and grace in the New Testament. Uh, It is what God is described as most in the Old Testament. You remember the time when Moses asked to see God's back? Well, he actually asked to see God, and God says, look, if you see me, you'll die. 
So I'll just show you my ripped back, you know. And, and, and basically, he puts him in a cleft of the, of the rock there, between the rocks, so, and he passes before him. And we don't get any physical description of God. Rather, what we get is the Lord, the Lord, faithful. Faithful. He's always faithful. Always concerned with covenants. All, steadfast in his decision making. This is what Ruth is doing here. She has submitted herself to Naomi. She has also now submitted herself to Boaz. Essentially, he says, wow, this is some kind of kindness. I'm a single old bachelor who owns my own business, who apparently, his name uh, means strength, manly. I mean, he's a man's man, and you're about to see this today in the way he approaches this decision. But what, what Naomi tells Ruth says, look, he won't rest until he gets this done. Because he knows this is a great kindness toward him for you who, is, who are young. It doesn't say she was beautiful, but we know she was beautiful. How? Well, because of the kind of person Ruth was. Remember what the Bible says about her? Is that Here in Ruth, it says that she was a, a woman who others recognize as worthy. Honorable. She had a reputation, and it was a good reputation, and that made her more beautiful. Have you ever had that happen? Where you met somebody, and you you weren't necessarily attracted to, to their physical appearance, but they began, as you got to know them, to become more and more beautiful to you. Absolutely. This is Ruth. We're not told exactly. We're told other people in the Bible are are strikingly physically beautiful, but but here, Ruth, she's beautiful throughout, apparently. And so now you get this dilemma, however, we, we, we left off last week with kind of this beautiful scene that happened between them, but the matter is unresolved. So chapter 4 brings us to really the climax of the entire book. This is, this is where everything is going to turn on this other Redeemer, right? The one we just read about. He says, look, sweetie, there's another Redeemer who's closer in line and I, I do things right. So I'm going to go to Him, but don't worry about it. I got this. Remember how He said that to her? He said, look, I got this. Again, remember, He's manly man. Boaz means strength. He knows what He's doing. He, didn't, he doesn't own His own business not knowing what He's doing. He doesn't own a bunch of fields not knowing what He's doing. No, no, this guy knows what He's doing and the way He's going to approach it. He says, look, I got a plan. I got a plan. When you think of a manly man, a real dude's dude, you don't think of somebody that's just going to, oh, I don't know what to do, man. No, no, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for strength, a real decisive act, and a smart one, a clever one. And this is Boaz's approach. Notice here, at the beginning of 4, the first thing that that begins to strike you is, is is this thing of he is going to settle the matter. And so, so they have this late night together, right? Happens at midnight, and then you know he makes sure she's protected and goes home early. And then he gets up, and, and, or maybe he never went to sleep. This is one whole ordeal apparently here, and he sits at the gate waiting for this other guy to come by. Interestingly, we're not given the other dude's name. That's done on purpose, by the way. Here, friend is, is maybe not the best translation. It's really so-and-so in the Hebrew. It's just so-and-so. He said, well, well, why would would the Bible not just tell us his name? I'll get to that in a minute. It's very similar, however, 
to exactly what happens in the beginning of Exodus. You remember this? This is fascinating to me. And this has always troubled people in the scholarly world, but it makes a lot of sense in the, in the revelatory reasons why God has given us some people's names and not other people's names. You remember this? The two midwives? You remember this? At the beginning of Exodus, they're told to actually kill the babies, kill the Hebrew babies. They're given a charge by Pharaoh himself. You go kill them. Right when they're coming out of the room, you kill them. That way, that way we can just get what you done with it. They don't. They disobey the Pharaoh and obey God. Their names are listed. The Pharaoh's name is not. Now, if we had the Pharaoh's name, we could date the Exodus very accurately. We don't have his name. The Bible is not concerned with our dating accurately for our purposes. What it is concerned with is whose name is going to continue. The person who disobeys God, what does God say in in His Word? I will erase their name. Like my sound effects. That was an eraser. He's going to erase their name. He's going to make sure that the evil person is going to be erased from the face of the earth. But... For the one who trusts God, even if they are some slave, foreign midwife, their name is remembered forever. (laughs) They knew who the Pharaoh was, and they chose not to mention his name. Here, they knew who this guy was, and they just call him so-and-so, because he did not choose to redeem Ruth. He did not choose to atone for her, to cover for her, to protect her. He rejected that. He wasn't doing it to begin with, was he? He was the nearest kin. He should have taken Naomi and Ruth both into his house, both into his service, both into his protection. He did not. And instead, manly man, Boaz, comes up in strength and does take them in as his own. So... He doesn't sleep until he settles the matter. Now, here's the thing that's good news for us, is God is not going to rest until He settles the matter. Isn't this the way Jesus lived His life? It's absolutely the way He lived His life. Think about it. Remember how people tried to deter Jesus from the cross? Even one of His own disciples, Peter, His right-hand man, says, look, stop with this nonsense. You're not going to die. I've got my AR-15 here, and I'm I'm ready to protect you. Jesus says, no, put away the sword. Put away your weapon. Those who live by weapons, die by them. It's not my kingdom. I'm going to the cross, Peter. I will die. I will suffer, and I will die. Jesus was not deterred. He would not rest until on the cross, remember His words? He says, It is finished. Notice the cleverness here on Boaz's part uh, in the way that he speaks to so and so. (laughs) Uh, He says, Look, um, I've I've come into this parcel of land. It's an investment. Again, he's a businessman. He says, Come here and sit down, bud. Let's, let's do some business here. And you normally did business at the gate as people were leaving. So people were passing by. And, he, and he's able to stop ten other elders. And he's also able to stop <clears throat> this guy called so-and-so. And 
He says to him, look, i got a piece of land. If you're interested, I want to know today. You need to, you need to make a decision today. You're going to buy it or not. It was Elimelech's land. He's dead now. Uh, it's, it's this bitter woman's land now. <laughs> um, you know, and so I need to know if you... Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah we'll do that. We'll do that. I'll, I'll purchase that, be able to make a little money on the side and be able to sell it. He says, okay, just, just one other thing in this, in this fine print here. Uh, it's a package deal. You also get this bitter mother-in-law and you get Ruth, who is a foreigner, who is a widow. Her husband died. He says, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. No, nah, wife's not going to go for that one. No, nah, not taking in another lady. No, nah, she's not going to go with that one. Uh, or, really, what the reason here in the Bible is, is his inheritance. He's selfish. Plain and simple. He says, look, if I take in another woman, another wife, which is not unusual at this time, he says, that means that I'm going to have to spread my inheritance not only to my son over here, but to whoever she produces as well. Because, again, by the law, if you redeemed Ruth, you had to give her a son. You had to. It wasn't a thing of if. You had to. In order for Elimelech's name to continue, which is the, which is the whole purpose here, you had to raise up a progeny, a son, inheritance, a heritage. And he says, he says, I've already got a good thing going here. I don't need another. That's going to spread me out too much here. I'm done. That's all on you. You take this deal. I'm not going to do it. Uh, so he refuses and he gives Boaz all of the rights to redeem Ruth. Now, now for a moment here, you're thinking when he, when it's, when he says here, you know, hey, I'll buy it, your heart just sinks in the story. You're just like, oh man, all this work, all this build up, and and now somebody else is going to get to take Ruth home. You know, no, no. He's again, this guy's smart. He's clever. He's clever. Interestingly, so is Jesus. So cleverness is not bad. Being smart, doing things with wisdom, is is what the Bible is all about. God in His wise plan fooled everybody, did He not? The early church, fathers, they used to talk about Jesus as the great angler. You know, fishermen. wish your dad was here for that. I was adding in there just for him, but maybe you can listen on here. Um, they called Him the great angler because what is the cross? It's the greatest switch around ever, isn't it? It's the most clever thing ever devised. How could you ever get salvation from an electric chair? From the gas chamber? I mean, that's what the cross is. It's a, it's a tool of death and destruction. It was the worst way to die in the ancient world. Romans, it was illegal for any Roman to be crucified. Any Roman citizen. That was only for foreigners. Only for the worst of the worst. I mean, when people wear a cross, it always shocks me because it's like wearing an electric chair. It's a tool of death only for torturing and killing people. That's it. Until Jesus gets a hold of it. Until Jesus gets on the cross. And then He changes that symbol to be a symbol of hope, a symbol of resurrection, a symbol of redemption, a symbol of life. How? Because He tricked everybody. (laughs) Again, why, why was He the great angler? Because just like you got this shark swimming in this piece of meat on there, this, this helpless fish on a hook. 
right? The hook can't be seen. The little little swimmer's there, you know, just like the little minnow. And he looks very helpless. Here comes the big fish. He's going to suck him in. He's going to bite him. He's going to eat him. And free snack. What an what a idiot just floating up there anyway. I mean, what a buffoon, right? I'm going to just gobble that guy up, right? Free meal. Yeah, well, there's a little bit of a surprise here, right? Satan gobbles Jesus up. Thinks he's won the day, right? Evil has finally tried. We finally killed God. We were successful. Woohoo! Way to go us! Only to find that he gets back up again. Only to find that there's a sharp hook in there that jabs his head, that busts his head, I mean, basically busts him in the head. Isn't that, what the, isn't that what Genesis says? The prophecy way back in Genesis? I will bruise, his, I'll bruise my heel by smashing his head. <laughs> That's why, the begin, have you ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? The beginning of it has it start. With Jesus praying, he gets up, there's a snake there. Yeah, it's prophecy being fulfilled. Smashes the snake's head with his heel. Bruises his heel, smashes his head. That was a prophecy back in Genesis 3 of God's redemption. Now it's coming about through this lady, Ruth, and this man, Boaz. He here is the Redeemer who's got a clever plan up his sleeve. It looks bad. Looks like it's not going to happen. I got this. I got this. Just say to yourself, when you're going through something tough, when you don't know what to do, when everything is falling down around you, say, look, there is a manly man. There's a real dude's dude who knows what's going on, who is my strength in times of trouble, who is my strong tower that I run to, and it's Jesus. Amen. It's Jesus. He is our Boaz. We're Ruth. We're the ones picking up cans on the side of the street trying to make it. We're the ones who, who, who is barren. We've become widowed. We're the ones without hope. We're the ones without an inheritance. And He says to us, I got this. I, got, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing and I'm going to provide for you. Do you need God's provision? <laughs> you do. Do you know that you need God's provision? Do you know that you need God's help? You know, really, Naomi has the wrong response. I'm just going to be bitter. Ruth here is what we're trying to be like. We are Ruth. Even you dudes are Ruth. In the story of the Bible, Jesus is the husbandman. Not us. He's the one who initiates. He's the one with the plan. It's His business that we're running here. Or better yet, co-running. Jesus is our Lord. And we submit to Him. We obey Him. Isn't that the job that we've been given? As the church, we are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The, the Bible begins with this thing of marriage between Adam and Eve. It continues all the way through. And at the very end, there's another marriage talked about, and it's a spiritual marriage, but that is the real marriage. Every other marriage in this room is simply to be an image of the real thing, which is us and our husband. 
He's already done the proposal. He's already gotten down on his knees and washed our feet. Our job is to respond. Respond to His touch. Respond to His Word. It's already done. It is finished. What Boaz does here is he closes the deal. I told you, he's a, he's a if you want to call it, shrewd businessman. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. And he knows how to get it. And so does our Boaz, guys. That, that's good, good news for me. Because I don't always know what's going on. I botch things up all of the time. I'm the one who is poor and weak. I'm the one who often is self-deceived. And yet, He loves us. And yet... He continues to provide for us. And yet, He showers us with His forgiveness. Showers us with His grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of it. And yet, He gives it to us. Freely. Even though, as we often say, freedom isn't free. Which is true. He gives of His grace freely because He's already paid the cost. That's the thing. is, is, is today's message. Atoned. Boaz atones. Elimelech raises his name back up. Now, his name can continue through his descendants. So too, we look for a resurrection, don't we? We're not building our name or our kingdom. We're building Jesus' kingdom in His name. (laughs) My pappy, before he passed away, used to always say to Justin and I, because they were only... There's only two of us. And um, there was only one other male dag, D-A-I-G-R-E, in the family. And there's not a lot of us. You know, you Google my name and I come up. You know, It's not, 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 not like 30 Marshall Dags in the world. Um, there's, there's apparently maybe two or three. Um, and he used to say to us, he said, you know, son, you have to carry on the dag name. You're going to have to carry on the dag name. I mean, this is, this is my pappy's heritage, you know. This is, it's his progeny. It's what, it's what he's worked for. He doesn't work for himself. He's working for his son, his grandsons. And he says to me and Justin, look, you've got to carry on the deck. Well, I can say now, um, with, with four men that I've helped co-create, uh, that, that we've, we've done a pretty good job, pap, you know. Um, he never he never knew about Ty. Uh, he passed away before before Ty got here. Um, but but he'll know him one day. He'll know him one day. Um, the good news here is that we are called to carry on the name of Jesus. Jesus says the same thing to us. Carry on my name. You carry on my not not somebody else. You you've been laid the burden of carrying on the name, the heritage, the inheritance of Jesus Christ Himself. How else will the world know if you don't say it? It's not my job. It's not your neighbor's. It's not your wife's. It is your job to carry on the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) You see, the reality is 
God cares about all the Ruths in the world. Those who have had it bad. Those who have lost it all. This empty family that has been emptied in chapter 1. They had everything. Now they have nothing. Now they're slowly getting to a position where maybe things are going to happen and we'll finish this next week. Now we know that Ruth is Boaz's. That's the good news that we've read here is that He now has the right to redeem her. Jesus has the right to redeem your life. And He cares about you. He cares about our situations. You know, we, we, it's, it's easy to believe that Jesus died for the world. It's tougher to believe that He died for even me. Amen. And my selfishness. Me. And my idiocy. Me. Um, do you know that this morning? Do you know that He's died for even you? Even you. If not, you can. He won't rest until you know that. He's just like Boaz. He's not going to go home and take a nap. No, he's got work to do. And we're called to work, aren't we? Isn't that what we just read? This morning, in one of our readings, we're called to work until He comes again. It's not time to take a nap now. You can sleep when you're dead, alright? That's what I always say. No, it's time to work. Work for His kingdom to build something here that we can share with the world that's worthwhile. Do you know Jesus in this way, in this redeeming way? If not, we want you to have an opportunity to do just that. Maybe you in your heart have been spoken to by the Holy Spirit and He says to you today, you know what? Our marriage isn't so good. Our marriage isn't so good. We're, we're drifting away. And it's on you. It's on you. Come here to change that today. Come to the Counselor <laughs> who is the Holy Spirit. And He can make your marriage with Jesus Christ something beautiful. Something fertile. Amen.